In Christ, I am loved. Incredible truth. In Christ, I am loved. And now, this love that we're talking about, being loved by Jesus and loved by God, is not, and this is my first point, is, is not your normal type of love. We all have an understanding of love. Um, we all old enough to have experienced love in some form or, or manner. Um, the, the culture knows about love. Every song, book, and movie has some form of love in it. It's about a guy and a girl that fall in love. There's some difficulty they have to overcome. And depending on if they overcome it or not, it depends on if it's a happy movie or a, a drama. And we're either extremely happy and we feel all warm and fuzzy inside if it goes well, or we're crying. Well, I don't cry, but we, we're crying at the end because it didn't go great. And we kind of long for that happy ending type type of love. And we want for it our lives. We, we hope that that might be the case for us. But unfortunately, life, as we've heard this morning, is not always easy. And love isn't always to, easy to come by. We have people that do love us, but not everyone loves us. Some people have more people that love them, and some people have less people that love them. And there are even those that no one loves. And the people who do love us don't do so perfectly. They just don't. They do it with a hint of selfishness. It's not always continual. It's, it's, it's not perfect. And the reason for that is, man, is we're humans. And so we mess up, we, we disappoint, we are selfish, we do worry about ourselves. And so we don't love perfectly, and they don't love us perfectly. So there isn't a perfect love. But when it comes to Jesus, there is a perfect love that is found. A perfect love for you, like no other love, it is perfect and continual for you. And we see this uh, imagery of Jesus' love used in Ephesians, when we try to think of love for uh, love, one of the nice imageries that we picked, a picture is a groom and a bride is on their wedding day and they love each other and they couldn't think of being with anyone else in that moment. It's this beautiful picture. And Paul uses a similar imagery for Christ's love for us. We see that in Ephesians 5. He talks about how Jesus is the groom and we as the church are the bride and, and Jesus had to come and lay down his life to save her. It's this Disney type of, uh, Disney-esque type of scene of a, a knight in shining armor running in to, to save his uh, damsel in distress and he had, in order to save her life, he has to lay down his own. But this is a good ending to this particular story because Jesus doesn't stay dead. He rises again three days later like we've sung and he will come again to take home his bride. Wonderful story, this idea, this Jesus loves us like this. And in this passage in Ephesians 5, Jesus uses the word love six, I mean, Paul uses the word love six times to describe Jesus' love. And when someone like myself this morning has used the word love a lot in a couple of sentences, it often, it often hints to it being important. And so when we look down and we uh, look at this particular word that Paul uses in the Greek, it, it's one of three Greek words that mean love. And it's the word we all know if you grew up in church. It's the word agape. And pastors, we love to use it. Women's ministry love to use it. It's this word that expresses a wonderful thing of unconditional, irrevocable love. It's a, it's a love that's not based purely on feeling, but rather it is perfectly displayed in action, sometimes despite feeling. And so, man, we, we, we don't grasp that really well in our society. We think about us, most, most of humanity runs based on feelings. We treat people based on how we feel, 
how we feel towards them. It's not unconditional. It's, not, uh, it's, it's mainly driven by our feeling towards them. This is why when we sit down with people who are separating over a long time or getting divorced, often when you ask what happened, oh, man, we've fallen out of love. That feeling that was once there isn't there anymore. And the idea is, well, we will leave this person because we no longer have that feeling, and we will find that feeling in someone else. But Paul says here, and thank God he does, is he says, Christ's love towards you is not a love that is based on feeling. It's an irrevocable, unconditional love based on action shown perfectly. And I thank the Lord it's not based on feeling. And, and so here we have this incredible love that Jesus has for you and I. And so, so have that in mind because my second, my second uh, point is God has a boundless love for you. God has a boundless love for you. In the 1960s, there was a prominent German theologian, not always evangelical, uh, Kohlbarth, um, who was probably most famous for standing up to Adolf Hitler. And he was doing a tour of the States, and he was preaching at, I'm not preaching, lecturing at uh, Princeton and Yale and the University of Chicago. And during all these speaking arrangements and lectures that he had to do, people flocking in a a reporter came to him and said to him, Kobath, what is the most important theological discovery that you have made? And he stops and he thinks for a moment. He doesn't rush into it. He considers the question. And he answers with this phrase, I'm sure you've heard, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Such a Sunday school answer, but this simple truth is one that we mustn't lose sight of. This majestic truth, this trans life-transforming truth is one that we need to grasp and take hold of, that Jesus loves us. This is the bedrock be, uh, of the foundation of the Christian faith. But how can we be certain of this? How can we be certain that God loves us? Well, if we are to understand God's love in its magnitude and, and to see it fully, we never separate it from the cross. It always has to be linked to the cross because the cross is the full demonstration of God's love to us. And, and the same would be say, said about the cross. We, we can't understand the cross without God's love. These two truths are interchangeable and ones that we need to hold on to. If you understand that God loves you, we need to look at the cross. And we, we see this expressed in Scripture. John 15 verse 13 says, Greater love has no man than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have ever eternal life. Uh, Romans 5, verse 8, but God shows his love for us, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John 4, 9 and 10 says this, in this the love of God was made manifest to us, that God sent his only son into the world, so that we might live through him in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the perpetuation for our sins. If you wanted to understand, does God love you, church? You need to keep your eyes fixed on the cross. 
Because there is the full demonstration of God's love towards you. That while you were weak, while you were sinners, while you were unable to help yourselves in your sin and rebellion against God, God would look upon you and not pour out his wrath instantly on you, but rather that he would love you so much that he would send Jesus to come and die in your place. To bear your sin, to bear your shame, so that you might have him and enjoy eternal life with him and the fullness of life in him. That's where love is fully displayed for you to see. Unconditional, irrevocable love seen on the cross. And when we doubt this, because we do, when we doubt the moments, does God love me or not? It's often because we've taken our eyes off the cross. We've forgotten what Christ has done for us just in the moment. And it might be for various reasons. Let me give you some general reasons for that. The first one can be as simple as you just have come, become so familiar with uh, your own sin that God's love for you doesn't seem that great. doesn't mean that much. It's because you've kind of felt, man, I, I know I'm a sinner, but I'm not that bad. My sin isn't, isn't seen as ugly as it should be. And, and as a result, man, God died for me. I know that, but he, he died for them more. And so the love of God doesn't seem as great on the cross for us. We've taken our eyes off, off the cross. But the cross brings correction. So when we look at the cross, what we see, we see the Son of God dying. Man, like God sent his son to die. Christ himself died for our sin. That is not a small matter. That must mean my sin must be horrendous. My sin must be horrible in the sight of this holy God. And so when we do that, we come to a deeper understanding of what God had to do for us because of our sin. And man, if God had to do that because my sin was so ugly, his love for me is so great. You see, the cross brings correction for us. It helps us to, man, God loves me more than I can imagine. His love for you is unendless. The opposite might be true as well. Sometimes we doubt God's love for us because we are overburdened by the weight of our sin. Sin is heavy. Man, to carry your shame and guilt is a hard thing to do. And, and so we, we might not, as believers, doubt that God loves. No, he does. He loves the world. He, he loves individuals. He loves this person and that person. He loves the pastor and the, he loves the preacher. He loves the worship leader. He loves uh, the hospitality person, my Bible study leader. He might love your siblings better because they are just better than you. And so you start to think those things. But when it comes to me, I, I doubt whether God loves me. Man, the cross brings freeing correction to that. When we look at the cross, what do we see? That Christ did not die for just the good and the righteous and the not-so-bads, but he died for the sinners. In light of his holiness, we all sinners and have fallen short drastically of the glory of God. And we there, he died for us personally, not just the sins of the world, but your particular sins for your life so that you might enjoy him because he loves you brings a freeing correction, and God's love for you is limitless. He can't possibly love you anymore. He can't possibly love you any less. It's his perfect love towards you. It's a perfect love. And so this is why Paul prays 
in Ephesians 3, verses 14, 17, and 19, about the, the church in Ephesus, he praises this wonderful prayer. He says this, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, that you, being grounded and rooted in the love of God, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the, the width, the length, the depth, and the height, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What Paul is saying here is that God's love for you is limitless. There is no limit. That if you had to go as high as high is, that you would never, ever find an end to God's love there. That you could go the breadth ways and run as far as you can, go as far as you can, as far as the east is from the west, you would not find that there is no love of God there. No, no matter how deep you go or how long you go, God's love will always be there for you. It is perfect. It is limitless. There's no place you could go where the love of God is not. And so that means for us that there is this endlessness to God's breath and his love. So some of us feel, man, Joe, I've, I've run, and, I run so far away from God. I've done some things that I should not have done. I'm too far out of God's reach, which is just not true. His love is boundless in its breath. No matter how far you've run, he's able to grab you and bring you home. And some of you are praying for, for friends and family members and you think they are too far gone. They will never come to Christ. I encourage you to keep on praying because God can reach them where they're at. God can reach you where you're at. There's a length to God's love that is glorious and never-ending. There will never, ever be a point in your walk with Christ that God would not love you, church. Oh, man, we heard of some stories this morning that are heartbreaking. But in those moments, we must never doubt that God's love for us is faded because it is lasting. It is continuous. And for all eternity, we will enjoy this magnitude of his love for us. It will never fade one little bit for us. It is continuous. It is endless in its length. It is endless in its depth. You're deep in sin. You're feeling that shame and its guilt. You're backsliding down the, the proverbial slope of sin and you wonder if God's hand can reach you. Friend, I want to tell you the love of God and his hand can reach down that hill and put you on a solid rock again. And it's, it's, it's endless in its height. You're facing some obstacles and some hindrances in life, which is hard, and it's making you doubt whether God loves you. But I want you to know that no obstacle is too high or too big that God can't reach over and grab you. That there's no giant that you face that God's love cannot slay. It is boundless and endless. That's why Paul says these incredible words in Romans 8, verses 37 to 39. Listen to them. No. In all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Boundless, boundless love. There is no way you can go or run to that God's love is not available to you. And it is fully, fully for you. There's not a section of God's love that is reserved for someone who's more mature than you are in Christ. 
There's not a, a section that is a, a reserved for those who might have memorized a certain amount of scripture, who have prayed a certain prayer, or have done a certain ritual. There is none of that. When you are in Jesus, when I can say that I am in Christ and I am loved, that the fullness of God's love is available to you. It's boundless. This verse hits home for me this week as I was preparing the sermon. Maybe it will sink this in for you. It's in John 17, 23. It says, it's Jesus praying. The Garden of Gethsemane, before he dies, and he prays for those who are his current disciples, but he also, near the back end of his prayer, he prays for those that God still hasn't given him yet. Us, essentially. And those who have gone before us and will come after us. And he prays this prayer. I'll get to it. It's just one verse. It says, in, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfectly one. He's talking about unity. So that the world may know that you sent me, and here it comes, and love them even as you loved me. Wow. And love them even as you have loved me. Dear Carson's commenting on this is, of those who are in Christ, we have been caught up into the love of the Father for the Son with the very same love he reserves for the Son. Man, in Christ, this is the love that he has for us. And dear Carson's goes on to say, the thought is breathtakingly extravagant. New, uh, George Newton says this in light of this boundless love. He, he says this, oh, then what may you not expect from such a love as this? A love that has no bounds and no measures. What will God not do for you in all conditions and all cases? What, God, what will God not give you? What will God not forgive you? Oh, my beloved, I beseech thee, do not limit it. Do not set bounds to it. Do not think thus far the love of God may cause him to forbear us and forgive us, but beyond it it will not go. Oh, my beloved, if you, are, if you be humble and believe in souls, it is a bottomless and boundless love uh, to you. It will go beyond all that you can think, further than you are able to imagine. And therefore, oh, not cast away your confidence, but toll yourselves on this unmeasurable love of God in all cases. Your sins are finite, but the love of God is infinite. Your sins are limits, have limits, but the love of God is limitless. Glorious for you. So how do we get this love? And this brings me to my last point. It is only accessible in Jesus. Only through Jesus. You see, what the cross does for us is it demonstrates God's love for us perfectly and fully. And, and we, the more we look at it, the more we understand ourselves and God, the more it becomes more glorious and more for us to see. But the God, the God did not only demonstrate his love for us on the cross, but the very cross, very Jesus' death, made the very access for us to enjoy it. Let me explain that again. It doesn't just demonstrate God's love, but it makes the very way in which we can experience and know the love of God. Does that make sense? And that's why Jesus will say, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. He has made a way to God, and it's only through Jesus that we can get this. But I have brilliant news for you, believer. If you are in Christ, this is yours already. 
this boundless, end of, endless love that we are speaking about this morning is yours in Christ. You do not have to earn it. You do not have to jump through hoops to get it. All you have to do is be in Jesus and it is fully accessible for you to enjoy. You might say to me, Joe, Man, I'm in Christ, I'm a believer, but I have lived a life of sin. I have not done what God has called me to do. Maybe I've lost it. Maybe this pathway that God, Jesus made towards the Father's love for me has overgrown over time for a lack of use. But that is just not true. In Hebrews, it talks about the way to God is new every day. It never gets old. It never gets stale. It never gets overgrown. It never becomes worn out that we might one day have to find a new path. This way to God is always new in Jesus. Always new. And the call for you believers to come and enjoy it. Come and enjoy it. That's how he was talking about. Be available. It is there. You might have trodden off on another path, but man, this path is here and it's available for you to use. Come and taste and see. That's what Byron spoke about. Taste and see he is good. It's not dependent on your circumstances. It's not dependent on what you're going through. It's dependent on Christ and it is yours. Come and taste. And when you do, when you taste it, when you enjoy it, man, you will want more. Come and experience it. This is why Paul prays Ephesians 3, verses 17 and 19. He says that you may comprehend with all the saints, that you might know the love of God that surpasses all knowledge. Come and know it. Come and know it. But he has the thing about love. It's not something that is taught. We can, we try, you can take a 10-year-old or a 13-year-old that's never experienced their first love and you can give them all the poetry in the world, all the movies to watch and they might get an idea of what it might be like but man, the day you first fell in love, didn't your heart feel like it was going to burst? It, It was never, no matter how descriptive we are, love can't be explained, it needs to be experienced. The love that someone has for a child just can't be explained It needs to be experienced. And the same way it's with God, man, we can explain it, we can demonstrate it, we can show it. But if you're wanting to know the fullness of this love, you need to come and experience it. Come is the call. Come who are all your heavy laden. Just power your head. I will give you rest. Come and enjoy this love is the call that is here. And when you taste it and when you enjoy it, I promise you, you're going to want more and more and more because in it, there will be a satisfaction that you have never experienced. As this love in your heart bursts like you did when you first fell in love and all you wanted to be with that person, same it will be with God. All you will want is him. We see this expressed brilliantly by David in Psalm 63 verse 1 and 4. It says this, He writes these words, Oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you, so I'll bless you as long as I live in your name, I will lift my hands. When David pens the psalm, life isn't going well. Man, he's 
on the run for his life from one of his sons called Absalom. He's wanting to kill him, take his throne. So David has fled into a wilderness where it is dry and there's no water and there's no food. And as David looks around and sees the the countryside and, and he lacks sustenance, he requests to God and he prays and sings this. But who's David? He's a king. King David. He's used to thrones, power, honor, to snap his fingers. And in a moment, a servant would do what he's done. He's victorious. He slaved Goliath as a boy. He's got a reputation and fame. He's honored throughout not only Israel, but the known world. They know of this boy that killed Goliath. He is, he is a person who has fine dines and has fine wines. That is his staple diet, big beds, a wife and concubines and parties. He's a king. This is what he enjoys. And yet, when David is with nothing, fearing for his life, with nothing to drink, what he requests from God is not give me some fine wine and food or give me my home and my power, but Lord, give me you. Why? Because David has experienced all that what life has to offer and he has experienced the love of God. And for David, there is no competition. If he had to choose, he wants God. He wants his love. He wants to enjoy him. Because he has realized that life is not found in things or people or experience, but life is found in God and in his love. And so David craves for it. And church, when we come and experience this love of God that he has for us, we will crave it more than anything else. We will look at the worldly things that he has given us to joy by God's blessing, but we will say, those things are nice, but there is something greater it is in God. That's where my love is. That's where my life is. That's where I'm satisfied. It is in God. And the wonderful thing about God's love being boundless is that, man, you will never run out of it. That I've been a Christian now um, 14 years. Uh, It's half my life. And yet in the half my life, I've but just scraped the surface. As I look around the room, I see some of you have been Christians a whole lot longer than that. 50, 60, 70 years. But I may I just encourage you to say you've but scraped the surface. There is so much for more for you to enjoy. And when we go into eternity, friends, we are going to enjoy this for the rest of time. There will be a billion years in, we will be there, and we would not have exhausted God's love. We will never get bored of it. It will never become boring and unsatisfying. It will be just as good and just as much for us to enjoy than we first began. Call is to come, but start now. Start now. Don't wait till you're dead. The fullness of your life, if you want to, uh, you as a believer want a, a life that is full, a life that is thriving, a life that is victorious, is found in the love of God. Come and taste it. But you might be saying, but Joe, I'm not a Christian. What about me? But the good news for you, friends, is that Christ loves you so much. How do I know that? Because again, when we look at the cross, what do we see? A demonstration, a full demonstration of his love for you in its fullness. God's love fully for you. Because he did not die again for saints. He did not die for the righteous. No, who he died for was sinners. Romans 5 verses 6 to 8 expresses this well. The magnitude of God's love for us. It says, for while we were weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. 
while we were unable to help ourselves in our sin, in our rebellion towards God. No, no, God came at the right time. Christ came and died for us. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. No, perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. He said, when we see this righteous people that get everything right, maybe we in our love would die for such a person, a Mother Teresa type figure, so they could carry on their good work. Well, we, we might just die for a good person. Maybe we would dare. But the magnitude of God's love is not just for the righteous and the good. It's also for the sinners. He goes on to say, but God shows his love for us. And while we were sinners, Christ died for us. This is the love of Christ for you. Fully displayed and demonstrated on the cross for you. But my friend, you need access to it. And there's no amount of church going. There is no amount of Bible reading or prayers or good works or effort that can get you to it. It is only through Christ. It is the only access. It is the only path, and you need to tread on it. And how do you do that? How do you get that access? It is purely through repenting of your sins and believing in Jesus. It's looking at Christ and seeing that he has died for you out of love and knowing that there is life in him and in nowhere else. That you come to him and you repent from, from finding, trying to find life in other things rather than in him. And when you do that and you say, Lord, forgive me of my sins, become my savior. In that moment, the access is made away. You are able to cross over the path. You are able to enjoy all that God has for you. And the best part is you get a head start on most of us who have had it for ages. You can enjoy this great love. It's for you in Christ. The call for you too is come. Come and taste. Come and taste. Maybe all of us are mad. Maybe David is mad. Come and see. And you'll find out we're not. We're a little bit loony, but we, this is true.